Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Uh, Well, if you have a Bible and you would like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be looking this morning at verse 17, uh, all the way down to chapter 3, verse 2. It's not as long as it might sound. You'll be able to find it on page 774 in your pew Bible. I don't know where it is in your Bible, but it's provided for you free of charge there in your bulletin. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. Uh, Thank you for being with us. My name's Sean Slate. I'm the pastor here. And we're so glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. Uh, If you're a student, you might be at home just stressed out after having read through all the syllabi that you were given this week. Uh, You could be at home building ramps to take your bike off some sweet jumps. Or you could be at home trying to finish Dune as you get ready for the movie that's about to come out this week, uh, part two. Uh, But you're not doing any of those things. You're here with us uh, this morning. And I want to thank you for coming. And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time than worship Jesus and consider his claims upon your life and think about the beauty and the kindness of his salvation. And so I do want to welcome you uh, here. Uh, Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church. And what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world uh, to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name to worship him so that we might learn to rest in that love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who love to gather together in community. We love to build ramps and take our bikes off sweet jumps, but we really love to gather together and read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind one another of that great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God uh, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University in Knoxville. And hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are. We're people trying to learn how to love God trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that during this season of Epiphany, what we're wanting to do is consider uh, the mission of God. And when we consider the mission of God, we fundamentally believe that the mission of God flows out of the heart of God. And the heart of God is a heart that is filled with compassion. And so to help us think about these things, we've begun this series that we've entitled The God of Compassion, Reflections on the Book of Jonah. 
And so if you've been with us, uh, you'll know that we began with the heart of compassion. We then talked about the flight from compassion. This morning, I want us to think about the experience of compassion. Uh, Because of the snow, I've had to compress the series. And so next week, we're going to look at the turning of compassion. And then we'll conclude by thinking about the invitation of compassion. All right. So this morning, let's think about the experience of compassion. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 2. Snuggle up with the one you're with. Um, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. The roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful uh, that you're a God not hidden, uh, nor are you silent, but you love to make yourself known. You've done it in your word and by your Holy Spirit, and ultimately you make yourself known in the person and work of Jesus. And so it is our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, that in your kindness and your mercy, you would attend unto us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, during the snowpocalypse last week, I did what most of y'all probably did, and I watched surfing videos. And, uh, and while watching surfing videos, I came across uh, this surfing document- documentary on the HBO called The 100-Foot Wave. Now, if you haven't seen this, I don't want to ruin it for you, but it's about a group of surfers uh, in search of a 100-foot wave. And uh, every October, this group of surfers return to Nazaré, Portugal, uh, to surf one of the biggest waves uh, in the world. So episode two, uh, epi- uh, season two, episode six, uh, begins like this. Dark screen, right? It's dark, uh, there's waves sort of crashing, Uh, There's this ringing that starts, kind of like when you get punched in the face. Some of you know what that's like. Um, 
And uh, slowly, the dark screen begins to give way to some light, and you see this wave that begins to rise up and up and up, and you hear this dramatic music, and whales start singing. And then the surfer begins to recount uh, his fall on the wave. And he says this, as the wave starts sucking up, sucking up, sucking up, there's this frozen moment where it's drawing me up. And I feel the shadow of the lip coming over my back. And I put my arm out to break my fall. And then I fall. And in that moment, the violence knocked me into submission. Just complete chaos. Spinning, cartwheels, front flips, back flips. I don't know which way is up at all. I'm going deeper, deeper, deeper. It seems like forever. And then shh. Everything goes quiet. And in that present moment, I went through my whole life. I reviewed my whole journey there underwater and like my whole life was there in the water. Like the fear and the love and the stress and just all of it. And if you watch the documentary, what happens is this man, he falls on the wave and he is sucked under for seven minutes two football fields dragged down the beach and then vomited up on the shore. And then he's being interviewed afterwards and he says, I was as good as dead and all I can think is this, what's the takeaway? Why am I alive? What is all of it for? What am I seeking? What's the need? I was spared by Mother Ocean. I was as good as dead and now I have new life. What am I supposed to do with that? What's my calling? And what's so interesting to me about watching this scene is how much that scene sort of mirrored Jonah. Right, Jonah was sucked down, 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 down into the depths. See in verse three, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. You see it in verse five, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down. Verse seven, my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And as we read the text, what we should be thinking is this. Okay, Jonah is as good as dead. Jonah's dead. He has been sucked down into the depths of the ocean. He has been tossed and turned, crushed and pummeled deeper and deeper and deeper all the way to the point of death. And then he's vomited out on the shore and given new life. Now, as you think about the scene that I just recounted, the surfer literally gave thanks to a pagan god. Uh, but I think it's really interesting that in the face of death, his instinct, his natural instinct was to lift his eyes from himself and to give thanks to a God who had saved him. One of the great differences between Jonah and the surfer is that Jonah gave thanks to the living and true God. Not just to the God of the seas, but according to chapter one, verse nine, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The God who rules and reigns over all things, and it's that God who delighted to save him from death. Right? It's that God to whom salvation belongs. And that's what I want us to think about this morning, that salvation belongs to the Lord. As Jonah reflects on this, that's his conclusion. You see it at the end in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's the climax of his prayer. And because it's the climax of his prayer, that's the point 
of this passage, that salvation belongs to the Lord, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Would you say it with me? Salvation belongs to the Lord. So what is it then that God uh, would save us from? Well, the Bible tells us that the Lord saves us from death. I want you to notice again Jonah's prayer, verse 2. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard me. Right? In the Bible, right, Sheol is the place of the dead. Sheol is the place of the dead. And then I want you to notice verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And so what Jonah is saying is I was dead. I was imprisoned in death. I was at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of the fish. In other words, Jonah, he did. And this is important, right? Because the Bible is telling us that it is God who saves us from death. And death in the Bible is both physical death and spiritual death. And this is uh, important because it is a death that goes beyond this life through the grave and into eternity. You might remember the story of the Bible. Uh, The Bible begins like great stories. It begins in the beginning. And in the beginning, God made, he created the heavens and the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, he also created humanity. And when he created us, he created us for himself. He created us to be a people who would live with him and who would live for him. And what that means is that we were created by God to know him and to love him. We were created by God to delight in him. And we were created by God then to reflect his love to us and our love for him to the watching world, to the world that is all around us. And so God came and he said to us, he said, look, if you turn away from my love, then you will die. And the reason that we die is because life is only found in God's love. And so when Adam turned, right, we turned. When Adam turned away from God's love, Adam and all of his posterity followed him. And so in Adam, when we turned away, we turned away from the loving presence of God, and we turned not just into to nothing, we actually turned towards our own purposes. We turned towards our own desires. And because we've turned away from the God who gives life, we now die. We die spiritually, right? Uh, We're dead to the things of God, and we're dead to the needs of those who are around us. We're dead spiritually. But we also die physically, and you know this. We all know that one day we will die. We try to avoid it. We try to ignore it. But one day death will come for all of us. And we see this story at work in Jonah, right? Jonah is the prophet. Jonah is a Hebrew. Jonah is a child of the covenant. He is one who's been set apart by God to know God's love, to enjoy God's love, to rest in his love, to be reminded of his love, and then to reflect that love to the world. And Jonah, the Hebrew, Jonah, the prophet, he then fled from God's great love, And you'll remember back in chapter one, God had come to Jonah and he said, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah arose, he got up, uh, but he turned away. And he turned away not just from Nineveh, but you'll remember, we saw this a couple weeks ago in chapter one, verse three, that he turned away, he fled from the presence of the Lord. 
And what this shows us there at the beginning is that Jonah is spiritually dead. Like he's dead to God. And he's dead to the needs of the world. And therefore, he's deserving of death. And so the waves are rising up, the storms are crashing upon the boat, the winds are howling. And he says to the other sailors, he says, throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, we'll calm the sea, we'll calm the storm. And Jonah begins to sink down, down, down into the depths of the sea. And then there at the bottom of the ocean, he's swallowed up into the belly of the great fish. And there from the, from the belly of death itself, he begins to cry out to God. I want you to think about this as we're reading the story. We should think that, okay, Jonah is as good as dead. Again, remember verse five, the waters had closed over him to take his life and the waves had engulfed him. The seaweed had wrapped its arms around him to bring him down. Then verse six, he, he was imprisoned in the pit. And so here's the point. Jonah cannot save himself. Jonah has no power from the bottom of the abyss. His breath is gone. His life is gone. He cannot swim up from the bottom of the ocean. Jonah, he dead. And then we look at chapter 1, verse 17, and we're told that God in his grace, the Lord appointed a great fish. And then the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish vomited him out. <laughs> onto uh, the land. And here's the point. The Lord saved Jonah, who was dead in his sin. Now, this isn't just a picture of Jonah. It's not just a picture of Adam. It is also a picture of each and every one of us, because if we're honest, we know that we too are dead. Listen to the testimony of the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, I want you to think about this. What Paul's telling us, what Jonah's telling us, is that just like Jonah, we too were dead. We too had turned away from the grace and the mercy and the compassion and the love of God. And just like Jonah, we too carried out uh, the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body. We carried out the desires of our mind. And because of those things, we too, like Jonah, were by nature children of wrath. In other words, like Jonah, we did. Now, as I say these things, I would assume that many of you are beginning to bristle about it. You're thinking, well, that's kind of mean. Uh, or you're thinking, well, that's kind of judgy. Uh, and then others of you are kind of beginning to turn inward. And you're turning inward and shame is becoming your best friend. And so to deal with that guilt or to deal with that shame, you just sort of deny it or you push it off or you get mad at me. Or maybe you accept it. And you turn in and you start to hate yourself. 
But I want you to hear something that's pretty powerful in the verses that I just read. There's a great big but there. And what it says is this. You were by nature children of wrath, but God. You were by nature children of wrath, but God. But God being rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you. Even when you were dead, made us alive. And so here's the point. God loves dead sinners. And he loves to give us life. And so here's the point. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Would you say it with me? Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is what makes Christianity really unique. That God actually saves sinners. That God saves real live sinners. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God saves the really good people. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God saves the right kind of people. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God saves the religious people, the educated people, the smart people, the athletic people, the handsome people, the perfect people, the people who try really hard and strive to do really good things. What the Bible tells us is that God saves sinners. And this is really important for us to remember. Christians are not the good people. Christians are just sinners who are saved by grace, not by their works. We are a people who are saved not because of anything that we have done and not because of anything we will do. We are saved because God is kind. We are saved because God is good. We are saved because God is loving, period, full stop. Right? If God doesn't send the fish to save Jonah, Jonah will remain at the bottom of the ocean, dead. And if God does not save us, if God does not send Jesus to the grave and into resurrection, we will not be saved. And as Christians, this is a thing that we rejoice in. This is a thing that Ben leads us into singing about all the time. The grace, the mercy, the love, the compassion of God despite our sin, despite our deadness. And so we rejoice in singing songs like, this is my anthem, this is my song, the theme of my stories I've sung and heard for so long. God has been faithful, he will be again. His loving compassion, it knows no end. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful. He's always been faithful to me, right? He's always been faithful to me, right? God is faithful. He's been faithful to me. He's been faithful to you. God has saved us. But oftentimes, unfortunately, we think, but, would, but when it comes to other sinners, we're not so sure if we want that same God to be compassionate. And like Jonah, we're not sure that we want the compassionate God to be gracious to other sinners. And when we think about Jonah, what we see about Jonah is that he hated the thought Jonah could not stand the thought that Nineveh could be saved. Because Nineveh was violent. Uh, Nineveh was a bunch of meanies. They were enemies of God. They were a threat to his nation. 
they were a threat to his race. They worshiped false gods. They didn't love God, nor did they love their neighbors. And Nineveh deserved death, just like Jonah. But sadly, I think, or at least we think, or probably more me, I think I'm a lot like Jonah. Saved by grace, delight in grace. Know that we're dead. Know that Jesus is our only hope. But something happens in us over time. And over time, for some reason, we forget the fact that we were dead. And we think that now we have lived our lives in such a way that we have proven to God and to the world that we were worth it. We think that somehow now we can prove that we deserve to be saved because we're now the right kind of people. Right? We're religious. We serve the living and true God. We go to church. We lead Bible studies. We're on ministry teams. We're pastors, for crying out loud. We are service project leaders. And we have a table downstairs. And uh, I mean, sure, every now and again we make mistakes, but our mistakes aren't like their mistakes. And we're not real sinners like them are. I mean, we're different. We're the good guys. Uh, we're okay. I mean, sometimes we try hard. Right? I think we're a lot like Jonah. I'm a lot like Jonah. Because Jonah still thought there was something in him, that, that God had saved him because of who he is. That he's the right race, that he's from the right nation, that he's the right religion. He's a prophet. He's got the right vocation, so of course God would save him. But as we look at Jonah's prayer, I think it's really interesting. There's a, th a few things that are kind of concerning. So we look at his prayer, uh, notice that it's theologically precise and it is filled with Bible. Virtually every line in his prayer comes from the Bible. And if you look at this prayer closely, what you'll see is that he quotes Psalm 3, Psalm 5, Psalm 18, 30, 42, 69, 120, 139, and 142. And so in nine verses of a prayer, he quotes nine Psalms. It's interesting, Jen is a lot like us. He's a good Presbyterian. Uh, and uh, he knows uh, his liturgy. He knows his Bible. He knows his theology. He knows the songs. He knows the hymns. He knows the scriptures. He knows the stories. He probably even knows the catechism. He's religious. He knows the words to say. He doesn't have to look at his bulletin. Uh, he even knows, as he concludes, that salvation belongs to the Lord. But despite his theological and biblical precision, one of the things that's really lacking in his prayer is that he doesn't show himself to see that he's a sinner. Nowhere in this prayer does he say he's sorry. Nowhere does he say, it is I who ran from you. And as he prays, he doesn't seem to see himself uh, as dead in the same way that Nineveh deserves to be dead. Why don't you look at verse four? Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. His prayer is, I am driven away from your sight. If you've been with us and you've been reading, was Jonah driven away from God? Or did Jonah flee from God? Jonah was running. He was not driven. Jonah fled from God's sight. And not only that, uh, he talks about being cast into the sea, but he wasn't, God didn't cast him into the sea. Jonah asked the sailors to throw him into the sea. Why? Because he would rather die 
than go to Nineveh. Jonah would rather die than tell sinners about the compassion of God. And then I want you to notice in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Who had been giving thanks? Who had been giving sacrifice? The sailors on the boat. The pagans. Not Jonah. They're the ones who had turned to God, not Jonah. And not only that, he's contrasting himself. I'm the one who doesn't worship idols, but you're the one. He's the one running from fear and comfort, running from God towards other idols. And what's fascinating is that Jonah still thinks he's different from Nineveh. And if you saw it, I don't know if you saw it or not, but Jonah has this big but. I don't know if you see what he says. He says, but I, I was dead, but I. This is fascinating because he's still looking for something that makes him the right sort of person to save. I want you to think about this. How many of you, uh, when you are confronted uh, with your sin, when you're confronted with failure, when you're confronted with death, how many of you say, but I? But I will go to church. But I will serve the poor. But I will know my Bible. But I will try harder. But I will never do it again. But at least I'm not like them. I just want to say this. That's not Christianity. Christianity never says, but I. Christianity always says, but God. Yes, I've sinned. Yes, I deserve to die. But God is merciful. I want to be very clear here. There is nothing in you. There's nothing about you. There's nothing that you ever will do or have done that can save you. But here's the good news. But God. But God is rich in mercy. The God that we are reminded of in our liturgy at the assurance of pardon, the God who is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that's our God. And so when we see our sin, when we see our failure, when we see that sin that actually leads to death, where will you look? We must look to God, the one who gives life. Right? This is our confession, and we will never get beyond it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Would you say it with me? Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is also the confession you see it that runs through the whole Bible. We'll look at the Apostle Paul. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Okay, what that means is it's a big deal what he's about to say. Right? So if it's trustworthy, it's true, you can trust it, it's deserving of full acceptance, I mean, I've got to embrace everything that he says here. What is it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. 
to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I want you to think about this confession that Paul makes. This is Paul, uh, Paul the Apostle, uh, Paul who wrote uh, 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. That Paul, here's what he says. Christ came into the world. Why? To save sinners. And not just them. What does he say? Of whom I am the foremost. This is interesting. He doesn't say of whom I was the foremost. What the apostle says is of whom I am the foremost. And why is it that God would come to save sinners? I don't know if you heard it or not, but here's why. God saves sinners to display his patience. To display his patience. As an example, he says, to those who were to believe in him. Now what this tells us is that as Christians, we are examples to the world. We are on display before the world but not as those who are good. We are not examples of being the perfect race or the perfect kind of people or, or those who know everything or those who do it right or get it right. We are on display to the world as an example, as proof that God saves sinners. And if God can save me, he can save you. And if God can save this group of people, he can save that group of people, right? You see, our hope isn't that God would see us and think, oh, they're really good. Our hope is that people would see us and think, their God must be kind. Their God must be loving. Their God must be patient. Their God must be full of compassion towards those who are dead in their trespasses and sins and to those who hurt themselves and hurt other people. Uh, he must be kind to those who have no hope. You see, salvation isn't ours. We didn't earn it. We don't work it. It is a gift received, given, worked by God. And it has been given to us that we might bear witness to him. Now we see this hinted at in the text in Jonah's prayer. You'll, you'll notice verse four, verse seven. He says, I will look upon your holy temple and my prayer came in your holy temple. Now what happens at the temple of God? Blood and death, right? That's what happens at the temple of God. The blood of animals was shed and why was the blood of animals shed? It was shed for the sins of the people. And what this means is that the temple was a place of grace. The temple was a place where we're reminded that we deserve to die for our sins. The temple is a place that reminds us that, that we were dead. But because God is gracious, because God is merciful, rather than demanding our blood, God provided the blood. God provided the sacrifice. He provided the lamb, right, that would bear our sins and whose blood would be shed, who would die in our place so that we might live. 
Now, if we follow this story on into the New Testament, I think most of you know where I'm going. Who does Jesus call himself to be? Who is he? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And how is it that he takes away the sin of the world? But by bearing our sins, by going to the cross and shedding his blood and dying so that we might live. But not only that, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they come to Jesus and they demand that Jesus give them a sign. They say, give us a sign to prove that you are the Messiah, to prove that you are the one who will bring salvation and life to the world. Now, do you remember what Jesus said? Here's what he said. No sign shall be given except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. All right, so what's the point? Here's the point. The Lamb of God bore the sins of the world and died, was buried in the ground, and was raised up three days later. You see, Jonah in the whale, Jonah in the fish, three days, dead, spit out to have new life, is a sign pointing to our great Savior, Jesus. Jonah's a sign pointing to the death and the resurrection of Christ. Because Jesus is the one who died in our place, and Jesus is the one who rose from the dead to give us life and to work our salvation. And that's the point of this table. Again, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who died and rose that we might live. And so as we come to the table, what do we see? As we come to the table, we see, this body, we see his body and we see his blood that was shed for us. And what are we reminded of? Well, we're reminded that Jesus is the one who uh, died, who really died. Jesus is the one who went to Sheol. Jesus is the one who went to the place of the dead. And unlike Jonah, who fled God and deserved Sheol, Jesus came down from heaven and went into Sheol to free us. And because Jesus trusted in the steadfast love of the Father, unlike Jonah, he never turned to vain idols. Instead, with thanksgiving, he offered himself as a sacrifice for us so that with him, we might rise up from the depths and receive his resurrection life. The point of the table, the point of the whole Bible is this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is a gift to us and it has been worked by him. Why? Because he loves us. Because he is kind. Because he's compassionate. Because he is good. That is who our God is. And because that is who he is, salvation belongs to the Lord. Would you say it one last time with me? Salvation belongs to the Lord.